You're listening to Tov, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, everyone. I'm John Spirosavet, and I'm here with a bunch of co-hosts today. We've got Dan Ross and Rebecca Rosenthal and Leela Spirosavet. So, hey, all. One of these is not like the other, John. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny that you say that because for the listeners, we're looking at each other on the Zoom screen. It's totally Sesame (laughs) Street-like. We've never had four people in one conversation before. So I know that some of you are listening as we are recording this in the year 2022. And some of you are students of our students of our students or our great, 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 great grandnieces who are listening as the in-flight entertainment on the shuttle to visit the Mars rover for a day. And (laughs) so to refresh your memory, Rebecca and Dan are rabbis and they serve together at Central Synagogue in New York City. And Leela is my daughter, who, as we record, is a rising sophomore in college. So this is the special episode as we get not only to the end of season two of The Good Place, but really halfway through the series and halfway through the project of this podcast. And so a chance to reflect a little bit on what we've gotten through this. But there's a first order business at the end of the season, which is there are people, I'm sure, who have a good deal of either bragging rights or perhaps money riding on the question of how many co-hosts identified as a particular character, for instance. So in order to complete this, first we have to ask Leela, if this is your first chance in the season two, who do you think of today as your character that you're the most like? I, I briefly thought about this, and I think I said the same thing last season, but I do feel that I identify with Chidi because he's always looking for answers and as a philosopher. And I think as a scientist, I am also, even though it's in a different way, And also, every time I try to get together with my high school friends, I'm reminded of all our extreme indecisiveness. (laughs) So you're all cheaties, is that what you're saying? Yeah, we're all cheaties. You ran with a you ran with a cheaty bunch. All right, and then (laughs) (laughs) who would you like to be the most? Who you aren't already? I would say Janet. I mean, she she's a wealth of knowledge always has sunny disposition and yeah she has lots of growth over all the seasons from being like a robot alexa to you know a fully fledged human almost and you would like to be those things well i'm a human but you know the the things i mentioned before all right so the question i have actually now for all of you is including all of us present we had 14 people participate in the podcast in this past season up to this moment so i'm wondering just on some over under what your guesses are on how many of the 14 said that they are they or we are cheaties i put the over under at 10.5 so rebecca do you think under or over i mean I have to imagine that most rabbis consider themselves to be cheaties. That just feels right. So I'd go over, but just a little. (laughs) Dan, you want to guess? I have to. If I've learned anything about Rabbi Rebecca Rosenthal, it's that she is incredibly good at getting things right on the money. She predicted Adina's birth date right on the money. So (laughs) I'm going to go with the over as well. Wow. (laughs) I have not gotten my prize for that. I'm just saying. (laughs) Lily, you want to guess? Well, I guess I have to spice things up. I'll I'll say under, but it's probably like 10. (laughs) Wow. So the answer actually, to my surprise, it was nine. 
And one of the reasons it's nine is that Rebecca said, says that she's a Michael. So that's a one. And there were three Eleanors and one Janet. So yeah, I found that a little surprising too. And then how about in terms of the wannabes? Anybody have a guess as to who people wanted to be the most? I think every Chidi wants to be an Eleanor. It's got to be Eleanor. Becca, you want to guess? That sounds right, but I would guess there's some people in there who also like want to be a Jason, just like not a care in the world. <laughs> Leela, how about you? I would say Eleanor or Janet. Those are my guesses. Uh, Eleanor or Janet. Well, interestingly, the winners were Janet and then Michael, four Janets, three Michaels and three Jasons, with the asterisk of a number of people who said, they wish they could say they wish they were Jasons, but you know, they weren't going to say it. <laughs> and then on top of the four Janets was one bad Janet. <laughs> so yeah, so so I had that wrong too. Yes. I'll uh, change my answer to Disco Janet. Disco Janet. Yeah, that's coming <laughs> in the future. So great. So anyway, hopefully people have settled up. The wannabes are one Chidi, two Eleanors, three Michaels, four regular Janets, three Jasons, and one bad Janet. So anyway, we're here to look back on the series so far, and this is going to be more of a reflective conversation, a little less of the laugh out loud. At the start, I laid out a few things that got me thinking about wanting to do this podcast project, one of which was envy of Michael Schur and the creators of this show, that they managed to get people to use actual moral philosophy to have fun, both to enjoy thinking about it and talking about it, and maybe thinking it would have some impact on how people lived. I will say that in the middle, as we were transitioning in the podcast from season one to two, Michael Schur published a book. It wasn't enough that he had a great TV show, but a book uh, which is called How to Be Perfect, or How to Be Perfect, I guess, is the way it looks on the, the title. The <laughs> so he's kind of in our lane here, the rabbi lane. It's not enough that the TV show has to, has to go with the print and, and words too. Have anybody read the book? I have, but you know that. <laughs> you have any? Uh, yeah. Did you like the book? I did. Yeah. I, I really liked the book. I liked how he kind of explained everyday real world scenarios that you can apply the good place and philosophy lessons to. Yeah, I would absolutely recommend to people to read the book. First of all, I thought it was going to be just like a cheap thing where he just regurgitated the TV show in the form of a book. But actually, he doesn't. He does like real philosophy and uh, comes up with totally other examples. And it's really worth it for that kind of translation. So the, the other couple of things were, I guess, a few ideas. One was the idea that moral philosophy would be something that regular people would talk to. It's a teaching interest of mine and a learning interest. And then, then the idea in the, in the Talmud that learning is somehow a key to growing, a key to becoming different. And I'm curious, as you guys have watched through the show, if you felt that doing the watching itself or the learning that goes along with it, has, does that seem to contribute to your ethical, you know, to anything you do in your life or your thoughts on ethical things going on around you or in the world? I'll just jump in here and say that I think that the other aspect of this that's important to note, John, is that in classic rabbinic fashion, I would say, the medium of education is the story. Like we create stories in so many ways, the episodes and, and the arc of the whole of the series is a parable in its own way about teshuva and how to lead richer lives. And, and also just the, the imagination to actually bring the kinds of stories and thought experiments that philosophers spend so much time thinking about, like the trolley problem, et cetera, to life <laughs> and to kind of imagine what they would actually look like, I think is, is certainly another piece of this. I would agree. I think that explaining philosophy in the form of a story and 
in an entertaining show. And I know that so many people who watch it, I think not only can you glean knowledge from the show, but I think it also inspires people to think more about how they apply it to their daily lives. I mean, I took philosophy last semester and I'm sure that was in a a small part because I did watch The Good Place. So yeah, I, I think it does have a tangible impact in maybe inspiring people to learn more on their own in addition to the actual learning that takes place when you're watching the show. I think there's also kind of a personal element to it, which is you watch the show and you see yourself and you kind of cringe a little bit and you're like, oh yeah, (laughs) I do that. And I like to think of myself as this kind of person. And then when you see it reflected back at you in this show, which is so brilliant, it really makes you think not only about how you're acting in the world, but how maybe the way that you're acting in the world might not be quite in line with the moral values that you profess to have. Hmm. That's interesting. I, you know, I think to me, it's the cheatiness of the show that kind of sells me or sold me on continuing to watch the show because like, I wanted to see how his approach would pay off. And for me, there were a couple of things from that intellectual angle in season two. One is it's not really a big cheaty season. I mean, really, other than the trolley problem, he doesn't do a ton of stuff other than the Kierkegaard rap. But <laughs> there wasn't much about that. And I felt like he did most of his teaching in season one. And the other thing that struck me is that I found actually this is the hardest season to do the podcast because a lot of the ideas they were talking about, the leap to faith or, you know, all this stuff where Michael has his existential crises is like, what does that have to do with really the day-to-day ethics or the ethical questions? And I actually found it kind of hard to stretch out from thinking about whether you know, eternal beings are perfect to how I'm going to live. The other thing, though, that I noticed that was a surprise to me in this season is that, you know, Rebecca and I did the episode at Best Self where they had the party where they were all alone in the neighborhood, sort of getting ready to make their launch and their approach to the real good place. And that really got at me really thinking about ritual. We talked about Yom Kippur and how the holidays could be and uh, the role of a party like that or other kinds of rituals in our own processes of teshuvah, of, of changing. And I, at the podcast, I really thought we'd just talk about like ideas without any theology and any ritual at all. But it seems like it keeps coming back. And that I thought was interesting. I totally want to do a like disco party before Rosh Hashanah this year, the way we were talking about. It seems like so much also what we need in the world right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I think in that in that episode, and actually in a lot of the episodes, they need some space to try to think through this sort of major life change that they're experiencing. And, and there's something there that we can learn from that, too, which is not just to push through and push through and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, but really to try to take a pause and make space and figure out, like, how am I going to think through my next step and, and what and how is it going to move me forward towards my goal as opposed to just sort of blindly following whatever it is, you know, other people are doing or whatever it is you thought you were supposed to do next. So the other thing really that's at the core of this is the idea of teshuvah, the idea of going back or returning as the way that Judaism talks about change and self-improvement. And we started off with the idea from Rabbi Moses Maimonides that what teshuvah is, is like finding yourself in an exact same situation and deciding to make a different choice. And I think what's just brilliant about The Good Place is the way that that idea of going back is played with over and over. The idea of reboots and then the end of season two where Eleanor goes back, literally goes back to the last moment in her life. 
it's just breathtaking. I'm wondering if other people have favorite versions of that sense of going back or rebooting that they loved or found particularly interesting in the course of this past season. All the reboots where they have all like all different soulmates. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's really interesting. I think that's such a cool thing about The Good Place is, like you said, you can explore this idea. All they're doing is changing the initial, it's like an experiment, just like changing the initial conditions and not putting them right together at the beginning, making their soulmates, you know, different people. And I think it's fascinating that they do always end up in more or less the same place. Chidi always being Eleanor ethics and the group always coming together. Yeah, I think there's a lot that can be learned from that. Well, John, I think on one of our podcasts, we were talking about incremental change versus big change all at once. And and maybe one of the messages of this is, and, and what Lila was just saying, the idea that you really, you end up sort of back to where you were. It's very, very difficult to make a clean break and become someone completely and totally different. And that part of what this group of people is doing is helping themselves become better incrementally, because that's maybe the only way that we can do it, which is we need to become better and we need to become better with other people who are moving in the same direction, hopefully. Just thinking aloud also really quickly about how the season sort of starts with this idea of how many reboots did they go through at the beginning of the season? Is over 800, right? And then yes, the, we're, as know. like good place geeks, we should know exactly the number. Yeah, it's exactly. Definitely more, more than 800. Right. And, and, but to, to Rebecca's point about going on a journey with people, that ultimately there's something interesting about the fact that when you start and you arrive, you, you start from the same location again and again and again and again and again. At some point, you have to, to move forward, right? At some point, you have to, to keep going on the journey. And there is something there also to be said about almost a challenge to Maimonides where we can kind of get stuck in its own way of like going back to where where we sinned and going back to, you know, the point from which we need to start to Shuva instead of ultimately, as, you know, Rebecca and Leela were talking about, finding a community to move forward with. So on the one hand, there is this really brilliant and powerful enactment of the Maimonidean approach to Teshuva. And on the other hand, there's this interesting way that it says, actually, it's still a matter of, of moving forward. Yeah, and I think the, the way it crystallizes for me is the difference between the burrito episode and the finale, because in the burrito, they each get to be in a separate room having a test on the one thing that they have to go back to. There's like some key thing, you know, Tahani's self-centeredness, people talking about her and uh, Chidi's choice of hats. And it seems so like odd. It seems so flat to me to do it that way. And ultimately, I guess the characters are like, that's not a really good way to test us. It's not like there's one situation we have to go back to or one version of that. And so the idea, which it seems I was, uh, Michael who had the idea, or Michael and the judge of sending them back into their actual lives situated to try to do these things was, was just, I thought, so awesome. When I watched back on the finale at, that Rebecca and I talked about, I couldn't believe how short was the year in Eleanor's life, the way it was presented. And it was so cool. And then also we were so happy happy that she seemed to turn her life around and then she got back to the same place again where she was stuck and that that was I was amazed that like they could pull off that the cliffhanger would be okay what do I have to do now I think I have to go study some philosophy now in Australia (laughs) 
I want to go back and ask one thing to Leela, which is this idea of going back of teshuva and going back to points in your life. I'm just wondering how it lands for someone who is younger, you know, for whom you're just becoming an adult and the part of your life that's going to be so meaningful is not like the life that you've had before. Does this ring true at all? Or how do you get this idea of teshuva as you think about the Jewish teachings or watch the show? Yeah, let me think about that for a second. Yeah, and actually, and I'm curious too, Rebecca, particularly if you have anything to say about this, it doesn't occur to me so much in terms of teaching younger kids. So, you know, in the show, Teshuvah is a group of adults who've lived, had a life, a certain set of life experiences and relationships and family and professional. And the idea is that they, you know, reboot that life that they've substantially lived or go back to parts of their adult life. For you, the past of your life is a life of childhood. So does this idea of of change and growth as returning to some prior starting point or prior place. Is that meaningful to you? Yeah, I think having a different, a way different experience, such as college, when you're coming from childhood, it does certainly make you think about how you've grown and maybe what you could have done differently in the past, but also what you can change in the future. I mean, life is long and you're, you're always learning in that sense. I'm thinking about your question. And I think the developmental growth for each year of childhood is exponentially larger than the developmental growth in each year of, of adulthood. And I don't want to send the message to my students that chuva means like going back to the way you were before, because actually, like, for most of childhood, hopefully, you are progressing and growing and hopefully you're doing this your whole life but I think that you just notice it more in in childhood but as you were talking it struck me I was watching a graduation video from the high school class of the school where my kids go and you have all these seniors giving advice to freshmen and they're all like savor it you won't know what you have till it's gone it's also amazing and I I kind of wonder if you ask any of those seniors do you really want to go back whether anyone would really want to go back to ninth, to ninth grade and start all over again, especially if like your memory was erased Eleanor style and you had <laughs> to kind of do it all over again without the knowledge that you gleaned in the previous four years. And I, I bet people wouldn't want to do that. And I think many adults probably wouldn't want to either. There are some parts of my life that were really great and it would be super nice to, to get to re-experience moments, but go back and do it again. I don't think so. Like I look at Dan holding his baby and she's adorable and cute, but like, send me back to that. No, no way. <laughs> right? Like, I, I'm sure there are things I could do better as a parent. Like, God knows there are things I could do chuva for, but I don't think I want the opportunity to go back and have a newborn again, especially if I didn't know anything, then well, then it would just be, you know, the same as it was before. <laughs> You're looking forward to rewatching the second half of the show for any particular reason? It, it is uh, surprising how much action is yet to come, right? I, I know what's going to happen in the next two seasons, I guess. And these first two seasons, a lot happens, but not that much happens. And then the second half of the show is really very action packed. So I look forward to that. I think it was interesting how you were saying like how Eleanor gets back into her own patterns and you see some of Chidi's life and, and the rest of them. And I think it's interesting how... I mean, this is obviously just a method of storytelling and making the show interesting, but all of their lives are kind of falling apart in the same way at the same time. And so it kind of brings up the question, like, is their success 
only because they were working together in the afterlife. It brings up the question, do you need to have a certain community of people to become better? Is it possible to do it on your own? Do you need a certain community? So we might hear a, a baby or a dog barking in the background here, but I'll do my best to, to cover up for, for them. But what, what I'll say is I remember listening to another podcast talking about The Good Place at the, at the end of this particular season. It was with Mallory Rubin and, and Jason Concepcion back when they used to podcast together. And they talked about how the season sort of suspended a question of whether or not the, uh, the characters were actually living in a simulation as opposed to the real world of sorts. And obviously, like, there's something quite fanciful about the whole story itself. Just like the idea of the afterlife as pre presented, the idea that you could go back to that very point. But I guess, you know, one of the things that's just worth thinking about is how the show speaks to our time. And in particular, our time in, the, in a world of meta and the emerging metaverse and the idea of just, you know, the way that technology impacts us, you know. One of the things that for, for those who for whom this show is a time capsule, watching the unfolding drama of Elon Musk trying to acquire Twitter or at this point trying to not acquire Twitter. <laughs> and one of the things that Musk is famous for, it, among many, is his uncertainty about whether or not we live in a simulation. <laughs> as opposed to a real world that has real consequences. And so I think that that's kind of the thing that's worth paying attention to is specifically how this speaks to sort of the ethics and, and what we owe each other, to use the language of the show, in a world where it's increasingly confusing about the nature of our relationships with each other, both digitally, both interpersonally, and, and how the, the particular questions the show raises can speak to that. Adina does not agree with that analysis at all, <laughs> obviously. That's amazing that you could do that with the, the baby in the background like that. But, you know, for me, my biggest fear in doing a project around this show was that it was going to ruin my enjoyment of the show, that I'd be so intent on taking notes and making ethical and philosophical connections that I, that it would take away my laughter, and it most certainly hasn't. And, and I'm really looking forward to season three, which I think is my favorite season of the whole show. And for me, the gift has been to have all these conversation partners who have become part of my team, my Soul Squad, my team cockroach, as I hope has, <laughs> as you know, is having some effect. Leela will testify or not, you know, whether it's having an impact on making me a better person. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to having this team of you and others as we go into season three and season four. It'll be so exciting to head forward. The hope is for those listening in real time as we're releasing them that between now and the upcoming Rosh Hashanah in Yom Kippur, that we complete season three, which is about Shuva in a really interesting way. And we'll track to the traditional Jewish season of preparing for the new year. And for those of you listening on your future flight entertainment to Mars uh, generations from now, whenever you're listening to it, uh, hopefully this will be useful. And see you all in season three. Bye. 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 Thanks, John. <laughs> And thank you out there for listening to another episode of Tove. If you're enjoying the podcast, help us spread the word by subscribing on your app of choice and giving us a share or a shout out on your social media. If our mid-series reflections are prompting some reflections of your own, we'd love to hear. Email us at tove at tovegoodplace.com or post on our Facebook or tweet at tovegoodplace. We'd love for you to send us or post any ideas too for how to approach the last two seasons of The Good Place on this podcast. 
Or if it helps you think on your own, go back and look at any of the show notes on previous episodes for texts and deeper dives and a lexicon for any terminology we haven't done a good enough job explaining. Thank you, Rebecca Rosenthal, Dan Ross, and Leela Spirisavet for hopping on for today's conversation. I'm John Spirisavet, and I'm also grateful for all this season's co-hosts. I found the first half of this season of The Good Place hilarious, but it wasn't clear to me how to make it work here, and you co-hosts all found the ways. Listeners, you can find out more about all of us and how to follow us on the hosts page of tovegoodplace.com. Halfway through our podcast project is a good time to pause and appreciate all the people involved in making The Good Place. Michael Schur and the entire creative and production team. Kristen Bell, Ted Danson, William Jackson Harper, Darcy Carden, Manny Jacinto, and Jamila Jamil, and all the cast who bring ideas and questions to life. Mark Evan Jackson for the amazing NBC Good Place podcast and the sign-off that I kind of steal for this podcast. I poke fun at myself for being jealous of all of you for making moral philosophy relevant and fun for millions of people, but alongside my envy is tremendous and sincere admiration because you're helping me become a better and more interesting teacher about the things that made me want to be a rabbi in the first place. Thanks again for listening, and hope you'll join us for Season 3. Now, go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.